Amen. We're going to talk about prayer. <laughs> That's the one of the three left over. Uh, the question that was turned in about this issue is, what is ceaseless prayer? What exactly does the Bible mean in 1 Thessalonians 5 when it says, pray without ceasing? Because we come across passages like that and we think, oh, yeah, sure, I'll just, I'll just pray forever. I mean, I'll just have a constant dialogue with God all the time, 24 hours a day. This prayer thing is something that, uh, that for believers in Christ, part of the active and growing Christian life, can be great and fulfilling and motivating and, and something that feeds us. And at the same time, it's a mystery and, and, and we have yet to learn uh, what we need to know about communication with God and, and what prayer does to us and to our hearts. There's a lot for us to continue to learn in our relationship with God through prayer. And so it's sort of this, this thing that a lot of people struggle with in their Christian lives. I know I should pray, but I don't as much as I want. And, and there's this, this battle going on for lots of believers this side of heaven. There was this, uh, there's this dad and his small son uh, who were out doing some, some chores, some errands one day out in town. And uh, so when lunchtime came, they sat down at the local diner. And they ordered sandwiches. And, and while they waited for their sandwiches, they talked. And, and the, the, the server came by and brought the sandwiches. And Dad leaned over to the son and said, Okay, let's go ahead and have silent prayer. Let's have silent prayer. And so um, they bowed their heads. And, and Dad got through praying. And he looked up and, and he saw that his son was still praying. And, uh, and, and so he waited a while. And after an unusually long time of his son, with his eyes closed and bowed head, he, he looked up, and uh, the dad finally asked, What in the world were you praying about all that time? And with the innocence and the honesty of a child, the, the little son, the little boy replied, How do I know? It was a silent prayer. Prayer, prayer can be something that's mysterious for us in, in a way. You mean, you mean I get to talk with God? Like, like the infinite, holy, immeasurable, majestic God who created me? I mean, I, I can have communication with him? I can understand why this little boy had difficulty with the concept of, of what silent prayer might be. Martin Luther said, that we are to pray as if everything depends on God and work as if everything depends on us. I like that. I can, I can handle that. I can work with that kind of concept in my life. But then we come to passages like 1 Thessalonians 5:17, where it says, pray without ceasing. And, and we think, I'm never going to attain that. I'm never going to get to that level of like sainthood where I'm praying without ceasing. Like, like a monk who takes a vow of silence and, and just prays with God all, all day long. Just constant communication with God. Silent with humanity, but always in communication with God. So we come across a passage like this. It's an easy one to memorize. You've all memorized it. Pray without ceasing. Good job. You can go home. You've memorized some scripture. We, we come across a passage like this, and we think, how on earth... Am I supposed to do this? Ceaseless, nonstop, always happening prayer. 
like when you're talking with somebody, like, no, I'm sorry, I can't talk now. I, I'm in ceaseless prayer. I'm just, so, so that's going to look weird to people. And, you know, if we took this so literally that you know, we're out in the grocery store and someone from church comes up and you're like, nah, I, ceaseless prayer, sorry. Um, you know, maybe it's not so much that we're keeping two conversations constantly, or, or is it? Is it, is it really that our conversation with one another and the world is supposed to always be happening in light of a conversation with God? It seems like a tall order. And it sounds to me like those passages we come across where it says, if your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. <laughs> okay, God, how, how far am I supposed to take that how much is enough in prayer like if it's three seconds between a a prayerful thought or word and then the next one is it not ceaseless prayer like like where do we draw the line How, how literal are we supposed to get the call to pray without ceasing and this is the big idea that's the blank in your notes there this morning the first blank there the only blank praying without ceasing is a call to an ongoing practice and attitude of prayer. An ongoing practice and attitude of prayer and mindfulness of God's presence. That's the basic idea here in 1 Thessalonians 5. We'll give some color to it with another passage here from Luke in just a second. But I want to think about this this idea of a continued consciousness of the presence of God. Whether it's spoken, whether it's out loud, or it's unspoken, This is a description of an ongoing, an intimate, a nonstop personal relationship with God as a continual undercurrent in one's life. This is like, it's like motor oil for your relationship with God, spiritual motor oil. It keeps the parts running smoothly and focused on their purpose. In fact, if you look closely at the words, it says to pray without ceasing. If you're in the New International Version, it says pray continually. Uh, The NLT, the New Living Translation, says never stop praying. Notice that none of these are calling us to pray constantly as if we are being asked to constantly murmur to God under our breath out loud. But the concept, the feel, the meaning of that, of constant communication with God is, in fact, what is meant here. It doesn't mean we have to be verbalizing things to God out loud because prayer isn't always verbal. First Thessalonians 5 communicates the basic idea that communication with God never stops. When you become a Christian, you begin to pray, you begin to have a conversation with God, and it never stops. It's an ongoing, never-stopping relationship where your dependence upon God, your awareness of his presence, grows and doesn't stop. It starts, but never stops. I wrote this on top of the page here in my Bible. Starting a relationship with God means never stopping your dependence Upon him. Starting a relationship with God means never stopping your conversation with him. As you continue to, to, to pray and to be in conversation with him, you will more keenly understand, more tangibly understand your dependence upon God. And that will feed you and help you fulfill God's purposes for your life this side of heaven. That's what prayer is for. That's why it's, that's why it's made available to us. Now, 
Paul's intent here in 1 Thessalonians is out of a context where he is writing to people who need encouragement because there are lots of questions like, when is Jesus coming back? Life this side of heaven is hard. We are suffering. People want to hurt me. How do I exist in a life like that? Paul is writing to people saying, pray without ceasing, if that's the case in your life, if that's the world around you. That's why he encourages them to pray without ceasing. So with that context in mind, let's look at Luke 18. Luke 18, 1-8, which is uh, page 742 in the Pew Bibles. We're going to look into how it is that Jesus sort of illuminates this passage in 1 Thessalonians for us. Tells us a little bit more about what it means to pray without ceasing. To pray without ceasing so that we are encouraged when the going gets rough. This is a short parable of uh, Jesus. It's called the parable of the persistent widow. Uh, and remember that a, a parable is a short story to illustrate a truth. We, we call it an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Uh, Jesus often used these short stories, these parables, to tell people what the kingdom of God is like. He showed some other truths through parables, but they especially focused on what the kingdom of God is like. So this parable told by Jesus helps us understand praying without ceasing. And why, especially, why constant prayer is important for the believer. The answer may surprise you just a little bit. Look along with me in Luke 18, starting at verse 1. This is Jesus talking. It says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. The them there in verse 1 is the Pharisees. Jesus is here speaking to the religious establishment and the leaders, the Jewish leaders of the day. We know that from the preceding context, from the immediate uh, context before Luke 18 and Luke 17, where he's telling them an answer to their question about the kingdom of God, for the coming of the kingdom. So we know that chapter 18, what we're reading here, is an extension of the previous chapter. In fact, the literal way it says that in verse 1 is, and he was saying to them. So it continues that thought, that same conversation with the Pharisees Jesus is having. So he's speaking to people, this is important to note, he's speaking to people who knew the Jewish law. That's important later on. Put that in your back pocket. Also here in verse 1, we see just a little bit of a hint, we see a little bit of a hint to the reason why ceaseless prayer is important. It's just a, it's just a little hint here at where Jesus is headed in the parable. At first we read verse 1, and we think that it means that we should not lose heart in our praying. It means at least that. It doesn't not mean that. But I don't think that is the main intent. I don't think the main intent in this verse is to say, don't lose heart in your praying. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Read the immediate context, especially in Luke 17, to get some ideas about that. I think, in fact, that what's really important for going on here is that Jesus is saying, when you pray, you will not lose heart. This side of heaven, when life is hard, when, when, when suffering happens, when, when persecution in your life happens, when trials come, it is the prayer that gives us the fullness of heart. It is not that we try hard to pray hard that brings us the encouragement 
That doesn't mean prayer isn't a practice. It doesn't mean there aren't ways that we need to continue to remind ourselves uh, to pray. Um, I have little tricks. I don't know if you're like this, but I've got little tricks for me that are constant reminders to me. Because sometimes I'll go a couple hours throughout the day and I'll think to myself, you know, the last two hours I haven't even, I haven't even talked to God. Like, like my relationship with God for the last few hours, just what was I doing? I was being distracted by something else. I was forgetting my, my purposes. You see, that's what prayer does for us. It reconnects us to God's purposes for us. So I've got little tricks like, like walking through doors. When I, when I put my hand on a handle and I open a door, that's a trigger for me. That's a trigger. Now, that, that, that doesn't mean that, that the main thing of prayer is to always try hard to not lose heart to pray. The main idea that Jesus is going for here is that when we pray, it fills our hearts and, and, and enables us to have faith when we need it. We'll talk more about that in the coming verses. It's prayer that enables us to have steadfast dedication. Look at verse 2. Jesus continues and he says, In a certain city, he sets up the scene, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There's a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, to the judge, not to Jesus, but to the judge, and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. So Jesus sets up the scene here by telling us about two characters. One was a judge who uh, the parable says was indifferent to sort of like, eh, who cares about God's law? Who cares about people and, and what anybody tells me or, or their status? I'm not going to give anybody a special favor. He's sort of indifferent, sort of emotionally passive. So a passive judge is character one. The other character in the story uh, was, was a widow who had a grievance with someone. Someone had done her wrong, but she had no recourse to settle the dispute. And because she was a widow in that culture, it probably means she had no family unless the Jewish system took care of her. And what we know is that this is an unjust judge. This is a judge who didn't care about the Jewish system for taking care of widows and orphans. So that meant that she had no recourse. She was probably poor as a widow, which means she couldn't have done what a lot of people did, which is to buy off the judge. So, so her only recourse in this circumstance to receive justice from the judge is persistence. She's begging, give me justice by upholding the innocent, my innocence, and punishing the guilty. She persevered in her asking. She persevered in her asking, which, by the way, is not the main moral of the parable. This isn't a parable about why God brings justice for his people, but that he will and how we are supposed to act. Don't miss that. We, e we easily read something like this and we think, oh, this is, about, this is about bugging God with my requests. I just have to, I just, you know, if I keep, if I just keep asking, then it's going to happen. <laughs> this is not a parable about why God brings justice for his people as if we get it from him by begging, but that he will. We'll make that point in a little bit. This is a parable about the fact that he will bring justice to his people. And it commends us how we are supposed to act until that happens. We'll come back to that in a bit. Now, verse 4. For a while, he, that's the judge, for a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, 
Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, literally that's, she will, she's going to give me a black eye, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So, we mentioned earlier that in the Jewish system of, of justice, there was special provision made for widows and orphans. Uh, the New Testament version of this is James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled cares for widows and orphans. And there's lots of places in Exodus and Deuteronomy that set up this system that the Jews all knew. So the Pharisees listening to Jesus tell this parable, they knew quite well, this judge is supposed to take care of this woman. It's set up in the system. So as... He says in verse 5, because this widow keeps bothering me, he gives her justice just to, just to get rid of her. Now remember, this isn't a parable telling us to badger God with, with prayer requests, as if he doesn't already know them. That doesn't mean we don't repeat them. That doesn't mean we can't, we can't tell him our heart repeatedly. But, but to expect him to respond the way we want because we say it a lot is, uh, is not the goal. This isn't just a lesson for us to persist in our requests. In fact, don't miss this. We think persistence in prayer is about making constant demands of God. As if browbeating an infinite and all-knowing God is going to change his mind. What it really means is that persistence in prayer brings about changed hearts who better understand his plans and his purposes. Persistence in prayer is not going to change God's mind. It's going to change your heart. You see, we want the shortcut. <laughs> we want the easy fix. We want the shortcut. We want the God just answer my prayers. God, take care of my circumstances. That, that, that's what we want. You know why? Because, because what we don't want is intimate relationship with God even though we really do. So, persistence in prayer is about bringing about an inner spiritual walk with Christ, a constant inner dependence and conversation with God. That's what persistence in prayer is about. It's about changing us, not our circumstances. So listen to what what Jesus says in verses 6 through 8. It says this, verse 6, And the Lord said, This is Jesus talking again. He's he's going to explain the parable here. He says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night, to his chosen, to his people? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Jesus answers his own question in verse 7 with the response in verse 8. He says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. In other words, soon, as in when people are unprepared, justice will happen. Speedily. That's how the kingdom of God comes, when people are not, not ready for it. And so he's saying, prayer makes you ready. Here in verses 6 to 8, Jesus is using a, a common way that the, that the rabbis, the Jewish teachers of that time, would teach a particular kind of truth. It's called the argument from the lesser to the greater. Uh, some people call it the how much more argument. 
how much more argument says this. Now, if this over here is true, then how much more is this over here true? Jesus is saying, if an unjust judge who doesn't care about widows can provide justice, then how much more will the righteous and loving judge of the whole earth, who is known as a defender of widows and orphans, how much more will he care for them? Look at the last half of verse 8. Jesus ends with this question. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Luke 21, 34 through 36, explains this verse like this. These are Jesus' words. He says, but watch yourselves. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times. Those who are constantly prayerfully engaged in communication with God are awake. That's what Jesus is saying. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Prayer isn't some instant formula for our lives getting better. See, that's, that's not God's goal. God's goal is for you to know Him. And love him. God's goal is for you to be so filled with the goodness and glory and love of God that you cannot help but want to have a relationship with him and communicate with him in prayer. That kind of person will be ready when the Son of Man comes. That kind of person will be found doing the work God's called him or her to do when Jesus returns. Prayer is how you engage with God, ready for his return, working to do what he's called you to do. Prayerlessness can go hours or days or, for many people, a lifetime without a communication with God that prepares them makes them ready, keeps them awake for the Son of Man's return. There was a famous preacher years ago in Georgia who had uh, a number of unusual expressions to describe Scripture. And this is one of the things he said about prayer. He said, when a man prays for a corn crop, God expects him to say amen with a hoe. You don't just sit around while praying for a corn crop. You pray so that you can pick up the hoe and get to work like you're supposed to. That's what constant prayer is all about, Jesus is saying here. 
You pray so that you can pick up the hoe and get to work being ready, being awake, being found faithful to the task of the kingdom when the king comes. So when Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The question is, when the Son of Man comes, will he recognize your voice? Will he find faith in you? Father in heaven, we are people who who so readily give our hearts to idols and small g gods of this world. We so easily, Lord, have faith in ourselves, even in people around us, in things of this world that are not worthy of our faith. Lord, we want to be people who are who are in dialogue with you and in constant prayer with you. We want, Lord, to, to be the people when you come back that you will recognize our voice. We want to be people who, in the meantime, while we await your finishing the work that you started to be faithfully engaged in what you've called us to do. To be people who who celebrate who you are, your, your work in our lives. To be people who are creating a space in our lives, cooperating with you to cultivate spiritual growth by involvement with the body of Christ and by involvement in your word and by involvement in prayer. May we be found, Lord, by you when you come communicating the gospel. May we be found so passionately devoted to your cause and to your kingdom that at that moment when you come, we will be proclaiming your glory, speaking of your work in our lives, involved in growth of the body and ourselves, equipping others to know and love you, Father, we ask that you would use the body of Christ here, that this this congregation, this church, this assembly of people would help us all to have vibrant relationship with you and conversation. Constant prayer is the undercurrent, as the spiritual motor oil for our lives so that we would do what you've called us to do. Forgive us, Lord, for for having our agendas and our plans. We ask that you'd wash that away and replace that with your plans. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.